Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. Um, so we have a special guest today, my new fish, Alex. Say hi, Alex. Blub, blub. Um, Don't speak for him. That was very mean, John. That was rude, that was John. Mean. I'm not a fan of Alex. Uh, We've well, had issues. Leave the fish alone. He likes to eyeball me. Because he can't look at you with both. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, right before the podcast, I forgot to tell uh, John about this. Uh, me and Steve watched the new CeeLo Green music video with the Muppets for his uh, Christmas album. It was pretty good. So Steve feels like it was too much. Oh, I just... I, don't get me wrong. I love the Muppets. I do love the Muppets. I, I just feel that they're, they're starting to make appearances on almost everything lately. It's like, I, I like to see the Muppets by themselves. I don't, I don't always like to see them as cameos. They were by themselves in a movie that came out last year or this year. Shut up. <laughs> just no, no. They've they're got a resurgence in popularity, and they're going to be used in mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, in all sorts of spots. They've got that commercial for cashews or something with... Uh, Kermit. I mean, it's it's coming back. They're coming back. They're becoming popular. They will, They're going they to be sellable. They will be used ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how things go when things suddenly become popular again. They become ad nauseum. <laughs> yes, that's exactly like that's exactly what happens. Um, before we get too in depth in the podcast, I just wanted to mention that um, we're going to start reading fan emails and comments on the site. We're finally getting some response, which is awesome. Um, and so we're going to go to Steve, who's going to read it for us. Uh, that's right. And this week's spam mail is from Cheap Beats by Dre33. And he says, Two-Bit Beats by Dre, Second-Rate Dr. Dre Beats, Sleazy Horror Beats, Barberty Beats Headphone, Beast Beats, Recently Beats Dr. Nearby Dre Cheap Monstrousness Beats Headphone, Shinsy Dr. Dre Beats, Beats Nearby Dr. Dre Headphone. Thank you. We will take that under advisement. And thanks for that. Moving on... <laughs> Um, so, I haven't really been listening to that much this week. Uh, a few new songs here and there, mm, checking out some pop stuff. I am done with Christmas for the year. It's I'm, just December! No, I've been listening to Christmas music since before Thanksgiving. I mean, it's getting a little ridiculous how radio stations are just saturating the market. Okay, I agree. The Christmas season is a little bit long lately. Like, they want it to... Oh, this year it started it always, before it always has kind Halloween. Of been ushered that's true, but traditionally it is supposed to be ushered in by Thanksgiving. I mean, how many yeah. years have we had Santa come in at the end of the parade? But but with my day job, I have no control over the music, so I've been listening to Christmas every day at least a third of my working hours, at least three four hours a day. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm so tired of it, what and I was tired of it last year, and I was tired of it the year before. What, what brand of Christmas music are we Everything. talking about? Everything. I mean, it's the old stuff, the new stuff, the borrowed stuff, the silly stuff like uh, Dominic the Donkey. And... You mean the radio? Yes. <laughs> Don't listen to the radio. Compile your own list. The goodies. See, I'm an old man when it comes to music, so I listen to Perry Como. NKC, yes, NKC. NKC. That's oh, excuse you, me. That's right. You should adjust your frame room glasses as you say that. <laughs> um, it's, I, it's, for, it's for a proper uh, demure Christmas. I, you, I, you don't know the demure Christmas. Whatever. No, I listen to both ends. I like Nat King Cole as well as Bowling for Soup when it comes to Christmas music. I like a fair share of everything. Um, it should be said that Matt's Jewish at this point. What? <laughs> I think it should be said that you're Jewish. Well, no, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, name one Hanukkah song besides... Uh, Adam Sandler's The Hanukkah Song. Well, that's why it's funny, because really the, the, uh, the anti-Christmasness should be coming from you, not necessarily uh, John here. I have a fair well, share okay. of Thoroughly Italian. We were talking about this <laughs> earlier. He had only seen A Wonderful Life a few years ago. I was raised on that. I've been saturated with the Christmas stuff <laughs> since 
every year. He hasn't had that same level. Storm hasn't had right. that same level so for you of it's all, saturation. It's all fresh and, 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 and wonderful, maybe. Oh, well. So, anyway. Um... <laughs> you just want presents. Who doesn't want presents? I hate presents. That's all right. That's all right. One, one day, I'm going to get you by a fireplace. I'm going to give you a warm cup of cocoa, right? I'm I don't like put cocoa. on some. God. You, it's you are be Satan. You are Satan. It's got to be coffee. I don't like cocoa. How do you? It's liquid chocolate. I, it's goodness. I'm not I, really I, I, a huge I chocolate work, fan. I cannot work under these conditions. That's it. That's it. I have to find Yule logs. I still don't oh, know what they are. Yule log. Well, I, it's it, WB11 as far as I'm concerned. From uh, yeah, 10 a.m. in the morning true. to... Anyway. Yeah, uh, off the Christmas track and on to the beaten path. Um, uh, this week's uh, pick was um, actually given to Steve. It's Steve's pick, but it was by his friend Stephanie. Um, Shout out, Stephanie. And uh, it's the new uh, Avid Brothers record, The Carpenter. This was a little out of our comfort zone as a group, actually. Um, First country album. Country folk. Pay a country-ish. I, I'm not going to thoroughly country. entrench this in country. Especially considering having listened to the whole album, it's definitely not just country. Yeah, but to be honest, there's really only two or three true country songs. Yeah, it was mostly folk. It had a bigger rapping of folk. I would say folk with a country twang. Yeah. No, definitely. I could, and I could definitely agree with that. a rock that. heart. And a, well, yes. A there's bleeding, should-have-been-murdered-ripped-out rock heart. No, 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 no. We're not talking about that track yet. I'm talking there was a lot of rock influences in this oh, album oh, yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, we pointed them out continuously as we were listening to it. It was it was a, a little blatant in some parts, but otherwise it did work well overall. And it's not this isn't too far out of my comfort zone. I was raised on a lot of like Almond Brothers and Neil Young and stuff like that. I did listen to a lot of country and There's folk. Some yeah, and I'm rock a, and folk than country though. That's the thing. Like even and I, I consider myself like I I, I listen to a lot of folk. Therefore, that part at least wasn't out of. No, oh, yeah, uh, same for me. My realm, but, but we were also told it was a country album. To at be honest, first. as the funk, the the funk, <laughs> the folk elements of this album. To be honest, I think were really solid. I yeah, think they were that pretty this, spot on. this could have been a great album if it was just the folk itself. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into the first track, which was one of the more country twangy kind of songs, the ones in Future Carpenter. Yeah, but not even in a bad way. Like I, um, no, it was just kind of too simple for me, and and not even simple. Because it wasn't the simple that made it bad. It was the simple and lack of innovation and lack of real content. Hmm. I I would call it soothing. Being that it was a soothing track, I suppose I was able to overlook that because as as an opening track, uh, the word boring is kind of relative. Like it depends on on where it's going. If it really is just completely listless, that's one thing. But because it intended to be a little bit more low key. I feel like this is music for a slower-paced lifestyle, to be honest. That's a fair assessment. I found a severe disconnect in the lyrics. I, I, this, is, this started off, I did not like what he was singing. It was uh, a hodgepodge of not-quite-working metaphors that were a little bit too on-your-nose, and it just wasn't good, good that way. And while it did have an easy-listening kind of beauty to it, uh, especially in the intro, I really enjoyed that slow build-up intro. Um, the lyrics were disconnected from the rest of the song, and they were disconnected in and of themselves. And I wasn't a big fan of his voice in this one. It was a little too high-pitched, working with the softer tones of the of the music. I, I was okay with his voice in this track. This is when I was, um, you know, I'm getting accustomed to his voice for the first time, and like I said, I, that was probably one of the most soothing elements about it. 
But uh, while you're on the bad points, let me mention a couple of good points. Uh, I did notice, and this was a consistent thing throughout the entire uh, the entire album, very well produced. Like the guitar was very crisp. I oh, found. Yeah. I, I mean, quality wise, it was it was definitely recorded and and produced and mixed very well. And I think that it was sort of a minimalist nature to it. Yeah. Like the uh, you know the, there's not too many instruments going on here, and when and when they do blend together when you do have a nice uh full flowing instrumentation it, it's, uh, it's uh it has a lot of space around it i kind of like that aspect very strong bass also in the in the first track it's just a lot of producing techniques were just hitting me i don't know if it was just you know they're playing or whether it was a lot of stuff after in the studio but that was a high point um i don't know apart from that i do agree it's not the most innovative track but i i was i was accepting it at this point it led into uh, Live and Die, which is the second track, which was catchy, kind of had some dueling riffs. It was fun, you know. It wasn't anything special, but it was It was definitely cheery. Caught, it, it, was, it was cheery. It caught me more than the first track did, for sure. It was folkier. Yeah. It was sev- uh, severely folkier. Had a warmer tone to it. Yes, and um, I, in, I enjoyed his voice much better. I enjoyed the, 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 the main vocals much better in this song. It was a little more gravel... In his voice, he was softer. It was a little bit, almost a tireder voice. It was better soothing for the instruments in this case. Yeah, ironically enough, because uh, this is, I would say, this was less country than the first track. This right. was a little bit more toward the folk era, and I, I guess I, I associate gravelly voice um, with country. And yet, his voice was indeed gravelier here, but it was less country. So it's like he incorporated that aspect, but the the chords themselves were less country, and that I, I kind of liked that. That's what made this a, a much a better track for me. So we're on the uphill slope at this point. Uh, there's still a, a, a problem here. He was rhyming to rhyme once again. There was uh, not a lot of thought I really felt in these lyrics. I didn't. It, it was just. He it didn't feel like he gave his full effort. That like there wasn't the true effort in the lyrics of this. Well, musically, I thought it was kind of fluid and unique amidst that that folky backdrop. Uh, I'll definitely agree with that. And I feel definitely. like the lyrics, though, I mean, the title is Live and Die, and it was a very give-and-take song. Like, he kept rhyming back and forth and jumping back and forth between things, so I think that was kind of part of the theme. I'll agree that it wasn't nearly as enriching as it could have been, probably, but I don't know that I fault the lyrics too much in that song, because still it was catchy, and overall I ended up enjoying it. I will agree, though, however, the lyrics in the next song were trite and very simplistic. Oh, the... the Winter Winter in My Heart was the next song. It was a metaphor song lacking metaphor. Oh, no. It was was a train wreck of metaphors. (laughs) He wasn't even trying. There There was lines about summer and winter and fall and leaves and cold and snow. I mean, there was no imagery. In well, these no, words. I, I would it's argue like the, the opposite. I'd say there was too much imagery. He was too literal with his descriptions and mm-hmm. his metaphors that it kind of killed it as a metaphor altogether. Well, no, like he was just it, describing, describing a scene. That's why I'm saying it's, it's not enough imagery. There was no um, making people think. I mean, you can go literal with lyrics, which are good, especially when... Uh, that's why I like a lot of rap. They're, they're very clear-cut and very straightforward lyrics even with their metaphors. Or you can go abstract, which is what we were talking about Serge for. Right. Uh, he, he's very abstract in his lyrics. This <clears throat> rides the line between the two and does it extremely poorly. Well, it sounds like this where I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm 
more musically oriented because I was actually able to enjoy this track on on that level. I mean, I I thought it was very soft and soothing, and the lyrics, eh, even so, even if they were a little you know lackluster, they were sweet in their way. Uh, like I said, this is for a, a slower lifestyle, in my opinion. So I guess I was a little bit forgivable of that. Musically, but, um, no, musically, musically definitely it better. was musically it was gorgeous. I thought the instrumentation the, really like blended together. The, the sort violins of, were great. Yeah. I love that. To be said, there are some repetitive patterns of the song. It does go through kind of the same section over and over. But the instrumentation is what made that um, digestible for me because it blends those repetitive patterns together by sort of establishing this uh, this. This very cool variance in like the call and response nature of it. From this song go- and, and going forward, especially, I started to really connect with the music. Like it made you feel, even if you weren't focusing on the lyrics too much, you could definitely get this kind of emotion from the way he was writing. You know, some of it was still kind of lighthearted, but like when in my heart, you got this kind of cold, kind of you know, serene, kind of beautiful feeling from it. Yeah, up to this I point, I felt winter. <laughs> yeah. No, it was he was singing more forlorn than. The next track. Now, Pretty Girl from Michigan. This had attitude. That's the first thing I noticed with it. There was a, a quite a bit more tongue-in-cheek. And yeah, I think they have a, a different, different ideas of attitude. Because... Uh, energy. Chutzpah. <laughs> I see, I don't, I don't know if I would use those words to describe doo-wop. A little, which is what this was. No, he had more passion in his voice. And it worked a lot better. And lyrically, it was definitely more inventive... More unique. I did enjoy it a lot better. Um, well, and... Matt, Matt was the first one to point out that this was a doo-wop track, and I it, I instantly heard that. I mean, this is anywhere in the 60s, perhaps even late 50s. This is early rock right here. And you can kind of drop your hands and snap your fingers in time with the song. It's pretty clear yeah. where that song belonged. Exactly, and which I guess was a little bit of a... a it kind of departed from the album for me. It was one of those tracks yeah, that was I wasn't the... entirely sure whether it worked... Well, because at that moment you're rest. going, why is this here? Like, this isn't folk, this isn't country. Those sounds are a lot closer. Doo-wop is more of a rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, sound. I do, I do like variety. It's just, it, I, I look for, I look for little uh, subtle connections within variety, this and will, I did not see that particularly. This will come up more later in the record. Oh yeah, or well, whatever. Yeah. But um, I find like, and my best example was when we listened to Matchbox Twenty and we listened to Sugar. Um. That song was a, a 90s R&B track through and through, but the lyrics and some of the instrumentation still resembled Matchbox 20. You could feel a connection. It, like, it belonged on that album, but it was kind of tongue-in-cheek poke at R&B, whereas this just felt like it was inserted from somewhere else. No, I, I felt the guitar work was, was uh, relating to the rest of the album up to this point. I did feel a connection between the two and the, and the string work. Um... I think I think you you might be complaining about what I said. Like it, it, his singing style really did change from song to song. They did go back and forth, and um, I never knew you. The next track had that same that same attitude problem, yeah, or was, attitude addition. It was it was very fast paced and fun, but it was very kind of different from everything else. Still, this I was more defensive about. Uh, strangely enough, I mean, I. This brought it back to the modern era. Like, I, yes. that's the problem with, I suppose, that I had with the doo-wop, is that it seemed so, so 50s, so simple in its way. I was having trouble with it. I Never Knew You was more of a Ben Foldsy song for me. Yeah. It, it kind of threw together the, uh, it, it threw together the 
their folk aspect with their their light rock aspect. And I really, really like that. The piano was a very strong point in this song. It it was the bass. It served as the bass. That was kind of a nice variety. Um, as I said, instrumentation is, is always really a, a winning point in this album. And uh, you know what? I really was starting to feel emotional attachment to this song as well. It was... it. He was getting through to me in this. Yeah. A lot better uh, than the previous tracks. And I, I think that was just his singing style. Um, while I did enjoy the gravelly voice, when he was when he was actually singing about something, it felt like he was enjoying. I was connecting. See, I agree with that, but I'll save I'll save that for later because there's other tracks here which uh, got me even more so. But that was a nice. It was a nice. It was a nice uh, starter to that because you know at some point you get got to reel you in. You know the tracks are moving along. Um, February seven. Yeah, this song was. I just, you know what? I I, I like my fair share of repetitive and kind of standard predictable music, but the, I don't know something about this song and how quaint and kind of predictable it felt. It was just kind of. Oh, the progression. Really, the progression was to t- a T. I I called the strings. Five seconds before they would call, come in. Yeah, this, yeah. this was a hard song to defend. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I liked the voice. Let me put it that way. I the gravel again, was again, back. The gravel was back. All that stuff. If you point. focus on that, it's a very nice... It, it's an easy song to get through. But uh, the, the problem is, you know, uh, my blessing is my curse here. If I'm stuck on music, it's very hard to get over the fact that the, the sections repeat so much. I just... I, I can't escape that. At some point, I, I do get a little bit bored. It saved itself... To some extent, with a very, very sweet outro. I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, Which did flow into the next song fairly well. Yes. Though I actually... This this was a little bit different. Um, Because this is where the album actually started coming together. I felt like this was probably the best song. It came together and it took off. Yes. And this is the track I meant that actually I emotionally connected with. Oh, I, beautiful I was, and sad. It was the most creative melody so yeah. far. I, he had a real way with words. It was a point. sad lullaby. Like, I could picture a father sitting by his daughter's bed singing this yeah. song about their departed mother or something. Like, it was just a, it's a very beautiful song. And I could point out so many beautiful things that he did with his, that they both did with their voice in this in this track. Uh, like, in the second verse, is this point when, like, the... When like one voice cuts out below the other, or, or reaches a harmony to overtake the other, they end the verses differently. It was absolutely gorgeous, and it yeah, there was distinction in the instruments. There was distinction in the voices. I was actually starting to see a uniqueness in this song. It was introspective. That's that's what I really felt. That's that's what I mean by emotional connection. I mean, it actually it took me into a zone. It was the first song song in this album to do that. And then they messed it up. Now with uh, the song <laughs> "Down with the Shine." This was even more predictable. There's a line where he's making fun of the story he's telling about its predictability. And up until that point, I was going, this is the most common drum riff I've ever heard in my life. This is actually where I really, um... (laughs) This is kind of where I came up with the phrase music for a slow-paced lifestyle, because this is the one that drags. It really does drag. Like, right before I was about to say this song is boring and trite... The the horns came in and actually spiced it up a bit and made yeah. it a little more interesting. Yeah, kind of had this kind of classic rock. The brass kind of sound. was was a major point, but it kind of fell into it, the same it was problem too as little many. Too late. Exactly, too little, too late, and um, even it in itself, it was almost like another another soundbite that repeats. It was layered over, but then it repeats itself. It doesn't. It's not. Uh, 
it just it doesn't work into another section. Yeah, it's it, just an added bonus. Um, it's a nice added bonus. I kind of wish they used more stuff like that. That that's, they that's layered the problem that with song, songwriting properly, over composition. Yeah, if they had layered the, the horns in in other tracks, it might have actually made them a lot more bearable. But even at this point, I was starting to see uh, a lot of similarities in these songs. I was starting to lose the differences between the songs, even with this brass. It seemed like there was too too much of too much repetition. Well, the, this, this is point. where I was aware, very aware of what their strengths were and what their weaknesses were. The strength was, of course, when they were actually to take a nice low key song and work through a few more variety of sections, right? But on keep the folk it low key. side, on, on the folk, folk side. side. Right. Um, his, his, his lyrically, I was starting to see that they were best when they were going a little more passionate, a little more energetic, not so low key on the lyrics. Um, low key in the voice. Low key in the voice. The gravel I mean, is what I was, wanted to wanted to hear. And so many of these tracks have like one or two of these three aspects of the band, and none of them really had all three until a father's first spring. This yes. song brought a tear to my eye. It was. Beautifully written. It it was it's beautifully written, and it was this kind of laid back song about a father's love for his child, and it was just it was a love song for a for for one's own child. It was really beautiful, and it's not done often enough. I feel I just thought the lyrics were beautiful, the 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 music, the instrumentation. It was creative. It was clever. It was well put together. I agree, and I, I also go back to what um. John said here because at this point, you know, right before this song, uh, before the song, I, I was, I, w- I was kind of worried about where exactly this was going to to take itself because right. there were like, you know, I was aware of the strengths, I was aware of the weaknesses, and it it didn't feel like the whole song was going to be wrapped together like terribly well right. at this point, which is kind of this tug and pull that this album has with me, and then. Fathers for a Spring came on, and I was, like, enthralled again. Oh, yeah. I, I had the same exact uh, connection with it as I did with Through My Prayers, perhaps even more so. Very I, fluid love. I love the flute tone in the beginning. Again, instrumentation really coming to, to add to the emotional element. And this this song really showed me, like, I got it. I got the arc. Like, it wasn't cl- perfectly clear, but I could start to see it now. Yeah. It, it came and went that it was, like, alternating between... Folky, passionate a- attitude, and a little bit of like sweet, slow, easy living. Love, the, love the cello swells. Oh like, yeah, that, that's one. They had cello and violin swells. Uh, violin call and response. And you can see this kind of give and take with the songs on the album at this point. And I was starting to really accept it. And the arc love, was do- the I arc was the cut out of this song. Also. Yes, Excellent. yes. But the arc of this album had been made clear up until this point. It, it was a de- about the variances of love. I really would have to say there was all different. Styles of love here, love that you wish you had, love that you never had, love that uh, you wish you didn't. Oh, uh, now, now, now I'm crying. <laughs> and 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 they screwed it up. Well, well hold so, on, hold on a second. I, I don't want to get to that yet. <laughs> I really don't. I also want to mo- uh, note one other thing that that Father's First Spring saved for me is that it also proved me wrong uh, from where I was at the last track. Is that I felt like you know they couldn't really uh, tackle complex structures. That they were they were you know. In their zone, in their comfort zone with simple structures. This had the most complex yet. It showed they could do it. You know, I wanted to see more of it. Uh, we saw we saw complicated in the next song. No, not the next song. First we saw uh, Geraldine. No? no, it was complicated. Oh, the, you're right. It did have... So, so my pro- biggest problem with Geraldine is that they were giving us something different, and it was a little jarring, but 
I, I was starting to get into it, and then it ended. It was like a minute and a half. It was a it very, was, very, 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 very short. It, it was, was pointless. It was uh, a little bit more like um, the softer, quirky side of R.E.M. I likened it to. It felt like they were singing. It had a very '90s sound. It did. Stand uh, I, 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 in the place 80s, that 90s. you are. '80s, '90s, '90s. I, I even heard a little bit of like Billy Joelish uh, yeah. territory too. I, but it had the same problem as uh, Pretty Girl from Michigan did. It didn't um, belong. It didn't belong exactly, and it departed in almost the same in the to the same degree. Like yeah. enough that I I don't hear the arc anymore. I'm lost in the arc, but I still in, kind of enjoyed the song. It's forgivable. Yeah. Now, what is not forgivable is track 11. Track 11. So track 11 was this... Ugh. The band essentially just crapped the bed. That's <laughs> what happened. So it's called Paul Newman versus <laughs> the Demons. First of this. all, let's start with the title. Let's break down the title. This title is nothing like the rest of the titles. The titles all have emotion and passion. In the title, you can get an or, idea of what the entire song is about. Or even just a little bit of intrigue, like a little bit of differences in it. This one yeah. sounds it's, it's like the title. It's clear that this is a joke that we don't get. Yeah. It is clear. Th- this that title that... sounds like something you find on Tenacious D's album. Like, I don't understand why this title exists. Then yeah. It on sounds the like a parody of something, and I don't know what the parody is. I can't... I can't grab onto it. Then moving on, we've got guitar work that's so forced and sloppy and chaotic. Like, they they think they're a heavy metal band all of a yeah, sudden. I'm not going to just mention the, the, the guitar work here. The particular, uh... The, the particular thing that was just completely ruining this for me was his voice against the guitar work. He doesn't have a metal voice. Yeah. He does not... Well, metal is not... It, it's not that he's going for metal rock. here. He's going, going for, for rock, a, a rock heavy rock. rock. And he does not have that kind of voice. It, it sounds like they're leagues apart, like they're playing in opposite sides of the world. You have this one, you know, the, the guitar work is at least trying, might have, might have worked if there was another voice to go along with it that kind of tied it all together. But his voice is just, he's back in folk territory. And the most jarring thing about the song also was that, like, at least in Pretty Girl from Michigan, you can tell it's his voice. Like, that, that kept it together. It was a doo song, but his voice was still kind of where it was. This song, there was it was like it was a different band. If you put this on and not told me who it was, I would have never guessed it was the Avid Brothers. It just sounded so completely different. I'm pretty sure this song was about substance abuse of some sort or another. I think that's what it was. Which, thematically, doesn't fit on the album. Number, no, not really. Number one. Number two. It was dark. It was a true dark song. That's not what this album was about. It wasn't sad. It was dark. Three. I'm not even going to say it was like faux dark. Yeah, no, because no, no I, I got I got too much comedy from this. Like, well, not that I'm necessarily laughing from it, but I I'm detecting that they felt it was funny. But I can't interpret that as dark. My biggest issue: forgetting the music itself because you can connect it. They lost their cheer, the cheer in the previous tracks. They're almost they lost, hopeful. They lost look. their heartfelt nature. Yeah. Yes, there was I, no, I, cheer I is want, the wrong word because there were sad songs, but there was no heart anymore. Heart is a better way to describe it. When it comes it, to the Avet Brothers, from what I know, after ten tracks from them, I want a guy with a guitar up on stage in a very very small little venue, uh, putting his heart on the table, and I'm going to cry with him. That's what I want to hear here. And that's not what I got. Yeah, all the songs I, I up until this point 11. gave us a little bit of that, even if they went quirky. Now, I know that one, I found, I did find one redeeming quality about this song. Find one. It still is about love. It's about love of alcohol, drugs, whatever they're trying to convey to me. It is about the exact opposite of the rest of the album, but it's about love. 
But I maintain it's a B-side. It's a B-side <laughs> no, that did not it, belong here. A B-side doesn't belong right before the last track, though. No, of course, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, but like, that's my biggest I can only interpret this as filler. As, as the most extreme, the extreme uh, case of filler possible. Not even filler, because filler at least links the album still. There's connection within filler. No, okay, yeah, you're right. Filler, you're right like, when, when we listened to Hoobastank, we said that they had some really high point songs, but there was a lot of filler. The filler at least still That's fit true. to the yeah. theme and this kind of brooding. This did not belong anywhere on this record. It belonged in all, three records from now. Yeah, when actually, they become yeah, a metal I'll, band. I'll take that back. I agree with you there, because I usually refer to filler in the sense that it um, it's not terribly the most uh, substantial on the album, but it, it's filling it in the cracks. Had, yes, it fills in the cracks. This doesn't fill in anything. It literally is is a train wreck. And in, now, in what would otherwise be a really kind of good album. Getting, I enjoyed to, it. And then getting to track twelve. Now, track twelve was called "Life." So this is a big shoot of Phil just naming the song "Life." My biggest yeah. problem with "Life" is I don't remember the first forty seconds because I was still so angry. And about I can see that in your faces. How, and it was, about how Paul, I was how trying bad to bring you back to reality. And then, but even worse was. When I did finally realize what I was listening to, life was so beautiful and well-made, I got so angry that they put it after that P.O.S. song. Like Life it, had should topped be... Father's First Spring yeah. and Through My Prayers, which I had already loved up to that point. And this was, this was the natural conclusion to those two songs that would have so much more weight if there wasn't... Track eleven. Yeah, if you drop track eleven and just had twelve, uh, track twelve with track eleven, this album would have been very high for me. Actually, yeah, we've said before that we're not going to fault an artist because they put something into an album. I'm changing that. We got to change that because in this case, we have to fault them. Well, I they think this is no. Well, this is of up. course no. You we usually mention that in regards to uh, in regards to the artist's overall idea. But it is very easy to uh, to pinpoint a moment when um, the idea is simply not as powerful as it was before. The, a point when the idea loses its message. And it, it's, it, it's clear that Track 11 does that. I literally wrote, anger, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Three underlines. WTF, exclamation point, Avid Brothers, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I did not know what to write for this song because I was just so livid that they ruined this beautiful song by putting that piece of crap before it. And I still can't get past it. It's just... I don't typically get this angry about this kind of stuff, but it just feels like it ruins the album. It very much did. If you take away track 11, this had such a good shot. I don't see what the what the drive was for a 12-track album. They could have easily had 11. Um... It's I just, don't know if they like, needed it there, bands, whether they contracted to put it there. When other bands put in songs that ruin the arc, I can at least in my head justify it as, well, the song was okay, so maybe they just wanted to throw a good song on there that didn't make sense for the arc. I can justify that. But when you throw something as all over the place into this... The, I mean, even if this song was in the middle, it would have broken the album up. I mean, it wouldn't have ruined it so much. But the fact that it was so close to the end, and they kept it, even though it was terrible... All right, well, let's take this to a comparison here, because just to diminish the um, the travesty that occurred, uh, let's compare this against um, what is still maintains to be our lowest-rated album, which was the Maroon 5's uh, Overexposed. And that album had a very similar problem in the fact that every single song was disconnected from the one before it. That is why it got so low, is because... 
I had nothing to anchor myself. Absolutely nothing. Now, as sad as it is that one track killed this album, now, there are little problems elsewhere, but, uh, you know, it would still be rated very high. But with that said, one track, it's one track that has destroyed the overall arc, right? I, I can't bring that as low as a as a... An album like Maroon 5's. Right. But the, 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 well, because the thing is with this album is it's the actual, the absolute polar negative of Maroon 5. Maroon 5 had terrible, one redeeming, and then terrible. Yeah, this it's, had. It's frustrating, but it's one mistake. Yeah. No, I understand. It's just, it just really, like, it just kind of ruined the album for me. And that's hard to forget. And I don't think. No, I, 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 uh, yeah, I get that. Okay. Everybody's seen Star Wars. Remember the scene... I'd love to know where this is going. No, you remember the scene where Luke Skywalker's coming in, he's trying to blow up the Death Star and everything like that. He blows up the Death Star, goes away. Fanfare, cut, great Uh, ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, Luke Skywalker goes in, he's about to blow up the Death Star, Darth Vader shoots him, Finn. Um, I'm not sure if that's entirely apt. But, like, that's what... I felt like that's what this did. Really? Because I was it, actually it expecting something more like, just if I can bring your, your vision to, to life here, I was thinking something more like uh, Luke Skywalker is on his way, uh, he gets to the trench, he's going through the trench, and then... He sneezes, crashes into the wall, burns into the ground. No, he stops. He, like, docks. <laughs> he docks in the trench. He walks out, he gets in the Death Star... And he has a little conversation, and he does a dance and a little musical number, and then he gets back in, and then he finishes. <laughs> then the fanfare, then everything else. A really, really weird moment that you wish you didn't see. That's what track 11 that is. That would ruin the entire movie if that yeah. happened. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's why I agree with Matt. It ruined the album. It really ruined the album. I don't typically hurt an album so much for this, but I, I honestly, I wasn't going to rate it that high to begin with just because it was out, out, outside a certain range of quality that I was looking for other than the production and the mixing. But this for something so from but they seem like intelligent, talented artists at least. And then for them to throw something in here that was so the contrary. It's a matter of not the thing is I, I know the difference between uh carelessness and I don't agree with your vision. Um in this case it's a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> uh I, I think it's carelessness um if if they felt the need to to throw that in there, but I, I also think like Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's they. They thought it was funny, in which case I'm simply not looking into it far enough. But there's, I don't get it. I I can't. If if your listener does not, you know, get it, there's obviously a problem. And we all felt the same thing. I can't. Eh. All right. That's all there is to say. So let's start wrapping it up. Steve, you got something for us? You want to start us off since this was your pick? Let me dwell. Let me dwell for a minute. I'll start us off. So, I am going to say that I would still recommend this album if you like folk. I I really would, or country. Because there's still... There is redeeming qualities to it to give it a listen. Um, However, I will never listen to it again. It just... It it kind of shattered my experience for the band. Like, I might listen to a couple songs, but as an album, I'll never listen to it. I'll never bring this as a full album. Uh, Not that I steal music or anything. However, <laughs> um, however, it's just, like, it was so, it started out so incredibly meh and borderline at a three. And then, 
as the intricacies came up and we heard pre, uh, Pretty Girl from Michigan and Through My Prayers, it started to build its way to a 3.5. Like, it was definitely above mm. average. I, I really started to get into it. And then we heard uh, Father's First Spring, and I was like, wow, it, it could be like an out-of-my-comfort-zone four. Like, I, I really think it might go that high. And then Geraldine, and it stumbled back to a 3.5. And then... Paul Newman versus the Demons, and it barreled to a 2.5. And then they put a beautiful track at the end that should have been before it, and it the 2.5 kicked it in the face. It's a 2 for me. You know, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. You know, I don't hate it. But the fact that it took so much stumbling at the end of the album, and even still, the last three or four tracks just completely undo each other, I can't. As an album, I can't recommend it. It's 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 definitely a two. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard. It, it's it's definitely not terrible. There ta- there's talent here, but I would never recommend it to I would never recommend it to someone who didn't specifically listen to country or folk. So for me, it's a two. It's an even two. You know, if you want to check out a couple songs, I check out the songs that we specifically mentioned on. But I definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't go out of your way for the album as a whole. As a whole, this album had glimpses of quality, of high quality, and standard mid-level quality in everywhere else. They did not make big mistakes. They just didn't have fully formed ideas in a couple of situations. So... It's they, they they didn't mess up until the end. And they messed up big time. While nothing truly grabbed me on any song, with the exception of A Father's First Spring and Through My Prayers, which were incredible. They really were solid folk country songs. Um, and as I said, I while I'm not a huge country fan, there are some quality things I'll listen to. And these are on par with, with a lot of that. But as a whole, and we have to do as an album, it lost so much at the end. The tale was just so weak and so disjoined. It screwed up the entire flow of the album for me. I lost my ending. And with that, I'm going to give it a 2-5. Alright, well this is why I went last, because I, I was, suppose I was operating on a little bit of a different scale. I stand by my crucial defense, which is that it is one mistake. You said the entire tail end. I, I can't say the entire tail end because it really is just the one track. Again, I cannot well, compare okay. this against... I, I, I consider it one mistake. I cannot compare this against other albums where I am constantly just ripped back and forth and wrapped back and forth. Here, in this case, I, I'm just, I'm just uh, teetering around the same moment, then a big drop, then a big rise. Well, I have to say, I, I felt like there was three solid parts to this album, but they only coalesced in two songs. There was too much of, they had the folk music, but that's it. Or they had his voice, and that's it. Or they had the lyrics, and that's it. And they needed all, all three to really make four-star songs. No, it's true. There's, um... there's, there's a lot of mediocre, uh, mediocrity. And there's just some. Now I can't. Really I bad. can't. I can't say a, a lot. There's a. The fact is, I usually I'm I'm teetering around the area where there's like one really really good song that I can't justify because one song is simply not enough. In this case, it really was. It was late. It was belated. But through my prayers was the first. 
Father's First Spring was second, and Life was incredible. Um, Life is definitely hurt. Uh, the flow of the album, Life is most definitely hurt by Paul Newman versus the Demons, because that is absolutely one of the worst. But that's still three really, really powerful tracks, with several other unique ones that are, even though they might not fit quite as well, they're enjoyable to some extent. So, I gotta say that I was teetering around low four territory for, um, for most of this. Um... And then might have even gone, like, into higher low fours for after these three tracks, because it was really improving the ending for me. And then the one big drop is, uh, Newman versus the Demons. <laughs> I, it, I don't get it. I really don't get the joke, and I think it was absolutely careless. And if it is intended, I simply don't get what the point was. It was utterly, utterly pointless. In which case, that piece of carelessness drags it down to... Um, the high threes. I'm going to put it smack dab in the middle there, 3.75. It would have been in the low fours if it was not for that. I think the difference here is that I really didn't like a handful of songs as well. Like, Geraldine to me was almost as bad as Paul Newman vs. the Demons. I just could it too short, completely pointless, you know. Um, didn't fit the arc. I hated, I, I really didn't like the intro track, I, you know, I didn't really like the uh, February 7, so, like, I think the difference here is that you were more on board with most of the album and then hit a really low note, so it was salvageable to you, and so I wasn't completely on board until F- Father's First Spring, which I thought was beautiful on its own, and then it was completely killed by the two tracks after yeah, first, it. Those three tracks for me are just... I think I, I was already rolling downhill and had nothing to grab onto on the way down. I think yeah. that was the biggest problem <laughs> for me. That's fair enough. As I said, I mean, it, the reason why it is in the threes, ultimately, is um, it, because it is take it or leave it at that point. Yeah. I think that, um, despite my feelings on it, despite your feelings on it, there's a huge country, country crowd for this, a huge folk crowd out there for this. I think um, a lot of people will like a lot of the sounds coming from this. But I still think... It's kind of got a heartthrob nature to it. But I still think that they're all going to be completely turned off by that track, and it, it could hurt this album, Severely, I just really do. Yeah, I agree, and that's why. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I agree that that, that, that took it down. But like I said, I, like I, it can't be completely uh, take it or leave it. If I took it with three totally solid tracks, which is fair, it's three against one. I guess to me, like the, the the logic behind it for me was there were three albums that we've reviewed recently that were take it or leave it that I really liked that weren't as complex or well produced that I just liked and that I thought were likable. I just feel like this album has too much mishmash to be likable by such a specific crowd as this. And then the what can I say? It's, it's, com- it. it's a complex equation. I no, mean, it's, it's really it's weighing the really good against Honest, the really bad. Honestly, I think that our our varying ratings is really pushing this this how complex and difficult this album was to review because of this disparity. I think, and that yeah. that really says it all. Um, and I mean, then again, criticizing music isn't easy, especially on a first listen. And I mean, yes, we could always just like, just slam our hands and go, ah, it sucks and move on. But that's not really reviewing it anyway. And there's a lot. I go far too down in the threes, like to the lower threes, the twos, that that really truly means that there were no standout-ish points. None. In fact, one of the only things I think that I've, I've put that low was, uh, was Flying Lotus because... In that case, another complex equation. It was just so, so ungodly overshadowed by the lack of just lack of organization that you know I couldn't bring it up. To, to be fair, I mean, and actually, you know what? I'll amend it here. I think I more agree with John that it's a two point five because two point five gives you the idea of hope, 
and that's what I want to walk away from with this. <laughs> um, and and no, and two it, five is careless, it, totally careless for me. And no, but that's fine. I'm saying on my rating scale, though, I feel like two five. It could have been okay. It could have been take it or leave it, but it fell below. So I'd I'd rather amend it to a two point five because you're right. Two for me. I've given two. Two is bad. Yeah, two is completely. completely This is not bad. It just it it has it has a bad moment. It has issues. It's not just the bad moments. To you, it's just a moment. To me, it's a whole train wreck. Issues. I I think that would be a little harsh to be honest because I think other things could be other other moments of this album could be accepted as very very fluid. I mean, the fact is, I I'm as as hesitant about the uh, the simple songwriting nature as you are, but instrumentation is a powerful thing. I mean, I, I like people who can do a lot with a little, and I thought they did that in earlier points of the album. If not for you, that's fine. Yeah, I think it's just for me, I, you know, 2.5 solid instead of a 2 because it's not completely devoid of hope. But again, I don't see those redeeming qual- all of those redeeming qualities you do. But, I mean, that's why we have three critics and not one, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, you know what? At least, a- at least we're giving you reasoning. Yeah, no, I, I I I accept the reasoning. It's 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 valid. It just doesn't fit my my particular you know. Now I was on. I, I was wish on... I could write out these equations. I need like a mathematician <laughs> here to sit down and be like, oh, actually... oh I can help you with that. <laughs> no, I was on Metacritic the other day. Um, if you was... really want to get angry, go on Metacritic. Oh yeah, there's some very interesting people there. Um, and we were looking uh, because uh, we had just done Surge. And I was looking at Metacritic because I was curious because we really we raved about it. And I was looking at it and I was, and I saw one person gave him a uh, uh, essentially a one star rating, hmm. a twenty out of a hundred, and called it, uh, if I remember correctly, punk pop garbage. And it's just so like. And that was the basic extent of the review. I read the whole review and they really never <sighs> explained anything. Yeah. That that is that is a taste bias I have ever heard one. So, I mean, you that that is so it has it has no backing whatsoever. And for I'm me, not I don't consider myself a punk fan or a pop fan, but I would never reduce it to such stupid simplicity. Yeah, that's absurd. I th- I feel like the, the 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 big thing is not everybody has to be a critic. You could listen to music and say it sucks. That's fine, but don't go on a site like Metacritic and criticize. No, a song this wasn't with- Metacritic. This was a legitimate, supposedly, um, organization that reviews music. This was an, a further site. This wasn't some random individual. I will talk to anybody, anybody about music. And I have. And I will talk to you for hours if you give me legitimate reasons for why you do and don't like what you like. Sure. However, if you come up to me and just go, Oh, I hate Justin Bieber. He sucks. It's stupid. Yeah, that really puts a period at the end of the conversation. That, you, the- cannot, you cannot... Develop. That's not, that. not. That's not saying anything to Justin Bieber's talent or lack of. I mean, it, it, you have to. You have to articulate. That's the moment where you nod your head and say, "We have nothing more to say to each other, do we?" <laughs> Let me go get you some Kool Aid. Yeah. I mean, you want a bendy straw? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I do. I advocate for uh, for thought when it comes to. You know anything? It doesn't have to be just music. It could be uh, when you're listening to movie. I mean, watching movies. I mean, just try to try to look inside yourself and think what you really like and what you really dislike. I feel like more people should should even if you're not you know spending 
a lot of time on it. Some of it is just innate. You should be able to explain it. And I feel like with movies and music and video games and lots of entertainment books, there's room for things that you you like even though you know they're terrible, but you can still even articulate articulate why it's terrible. I have two kinds of movies I like. I, uh, I'm especially a big fan of thinking movies, uh, thrillers and dramas and stuff like that. I love thrillers and dramas. That I consider an excellent movie. Now, the other side, I like it when things blow up. And those are fun movies. I say if it's a good movie or a fun movie. There's two. Di- there's a difference there. They can be the same. They but can. They won't always. The be best the same. movies marry them. But good movies and fun movies are inherently different. And I can explain why I like certain aspects of certain things. That's what we do here. We actually try to dissect why we're saying this is terrible and this is awesome. And I, I gotta say, I have to get off the freaking internet because people don't even explain anymore. So many people just say this is bad. This is bad because your mama's bad. so fat. Or this is bad because you're a troll. Or this is bad because I'm a troll. I mean, it's getting so terrible about how people ex- try to make their opinions important. So let's move on to something else here. I mean, that's one side of it. Some people don't know how to explain certain things. Now, that's, that's partially forgivable because sometimes I have this issue. Why There are... Um, when it comes to movies, don't be wrong, actually, I really don't have this issue. I could talk to you endlessly about movies, but sometimes it's hard to put into words because the two things I like in film are atmosphere, which is such an ethereal thing. How do you really, you know, put a word on that? Like, well, I like the vibe that it's creating, the, this, the vibe that it gives me, well, right? that's But the... I can break that down if I think hard enough. Yes, it's the the way the shots are set up, the color saturation, the sound backgrounds, not, not, not attention even just to details. That. There's a lot of things that I like when it. I like when I see something where the artist clearly has a vivid idea. A vivid idea. The director, right? He has a vision in his, his head, in his head, which he wants to, to just put on a canvas for everyone to enjoy. And if that vision is clear, no matter really necessarily what it is, if that vision is clear enough and powerful enough, I'm I'm won over in many ways. And you can break that down in many of the things you just said. Yeah. You can break that down in, in uh well, if he's going for this vision, then how come he's using that music? If he's go if he's going for this vision, then how come he framed it that way? One movie where actually the movie the uh, the artistic quality of the movie, both visual and audio, I think really you saw a vision being produced was The Watchmen. Was a movie that, that really, and especially the music, because that can ruin well, a, lot a lot of movies. Of period music from the time period that the movie was supposed to represent. But it wasn't just period music. They remixed, they remastered, they knew what songs to set to what scenes. Yeah. And how to get a message across through every aspect. No dialogue is going on in parts of those movies, but you can feel what they're saying in their minds. You can hear what they're saying in their minds. Now, on the on the flip side of bad people ripping on bad on things just because they're bad, you know what I, I, I really am starting to actually enjoy? People who recommend other people stuff because it's good and they can never tell you why. And my perfect example, I love this example because it's been proven that the example is the opposite of what everybody says it is. Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I, I will say I read about fifty seventy-five of the pages uh, first of the first few pages, um, fifty seventy-five pages, 
it is pornographic trite. It is terrible. And I hear all these people, oh, read this. It's great. Why is it great? Well, what they should say is because it's porn. <laughs> That's what they should say. But no, it's Rel Witten. It's a great story. First of, all, anyone no. who, first of all, anyone who says that Fifty Shades of Great is well-written should be checked to see if English is their first language. And if it isn't, then you pat them on the head and make them walk away. If English is their first language, then you take it away. <laughs> because it's garbage. It's just garbage. I garbage. Like, I feel like i got to read this now. It's garbage porn. That's what it is. It's, it's a fanfic that was BD- never edited and printed. It's BDSM uh, pornography. And at the same time, Twilight is another good example. It is a terrible story, in my opinion... And an opinion of a lot of people because it basically teaches young women how to pro uh, how to that it's make, okay to be stalked and protected at all times and you don't need to think you're for yourself. Suppo- no, the, the main problem is they they tell you it's going to be uh, great to have a boyfriend latch onto him, change every aspect of your life. It's okay if he hits you. He really loves you and he's actually very sorry. I mean, <laughs> and people say no, it's a great love triangle between X, Y, and Z, and it's not. No, it actually promotes terrible things. Now, I will admit that at least the original books, she has a basic grasp on basic grammar. She can write as far as the rules go. As far as writing well, that not, not becomes more important. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'm just going You by, didn't read them. No. I read them before the movies came out. But, but for me, it's just... Like, I mean, obviously there's an idea... But the difference would be if you read it and you knew it was bad and you could tell me why it was bad, but you still liked reading it, more power to you. I didn't really like reading it. I was just already there. I was already reading it. But I'm, just, well but I'm just saying, it's just the people, like, I don't know. I just, I, I get so frustrated when I try and have conversations. I have a specific friend who go unnamed. I know he doesn't listen. Who, whenever I bring up a band that I like, he just yells at me that they're terrible. And then says that, like, 50 different other bands are better. And then doesn't give me reasons or explain anything. And he thinks he knows music, but he doesn't. So I don't talk to him about music anymore. And when he goes off on a rant about how this band stinks, I just say nothing. Because I, I don't even have the time to argue with someone like that. Because if I, I'll have an argument with Steve. And if he's arguing with me that this band stinks because they're trite and they're boring and, and they don't know how to write and the chords aren't there and this and that, at least I have something to defend and I have something to rebuttal and I have something to speak back against. When you just tell me the band sucks and here's a better band, that's, that's, that's not... That's not a discussion. That's BS. Well, I, I think in a grander sense, I think a lot of people, perhaps because of our fast-paced society or whatever, they, they don't really have the patience for debate. I mean, debate is very time-consuming when you think about it. I mean, people people kind of just want what they want. They want to hear what they want. But they should know when to keep their opinions to themselves in those cases. Because, alright, fine, if you just want to seek after what you want, well, I, I argue for uh, education and, you know, that you should be well-rounded, that you should at least know other things before you commit yourself to a small variety of music, um, or anything else for that matter, but th- that's, at least that's your choice. You should not try to impose that on anyone else if you can't even, you know, know yourself well enough to uh, to defend it or... Um, or go beyond it. Well, to, you have compare to be, it. You have to be able to quantify it. Yes. And um, well, like for, for, I have a good example of what Steve is talking about. So, growing up, my father's always had a huge, diverse collection of music, and it gave me my diversity to a point. My mother, however, would just listen to the tapes or CDs that my dad would make her, and she wouldn't really discover new music on her own. 
not because she hates all music, but because she just wasn't a big music listener. She listened to it in the car. That was really it. It was a passive thing. So mm-hmm. she just listened to that stuff and didn't care to know anything else. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. She's but my mother, <laughs> but my mother doesn't go around saying, "Oh, well, that stinks and that sucks and that stinks," because she just she listens to what she listens to and that's it. Precisely. I've got the, the exact opposite. My mom has a very specific musical taste. Uh, bubblegum rock. <laughs> 1960s, 1970s, 1950s, bubblegum pop music. Sure. Uh, and she has shown that she knows who the doors are. But, like, that's as far as the overlap of our musical tastes. Mm. As I said before, she loves Madonna and Cher and ABBA. And the mamas and the papas. And I'm like, who are the mamas and the papas? Oh, God, no, 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 no. This is better music. And we've never actually been able to connect on that. But she listens to it very actively. She will just listen to music. And she will dance along to it and sing along to it very loudly. Mm-hmm. And it's she's got such a love to it. And... It's kind of weird because she has a very, very specific taste in music. She doesn't deviate. She doesn't listen to new stuff. She doesn't listen to jazz, classic rock, country rock, anything like that. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's a little bit weird. Sometimes it's a comfort me- mechanism. I mean, mm-hmm. when you when you are in one zone for many, many, many years, sometimes it just makes it that much harder to change it. I mean, our, our brains are adaptable, but if you feed it one thing for a very long time, it, it's really hard to drag you out of that. I have a very good example of that. Um, I've played video games pretty much since Nintendo, and even played the Atari before that. So since 4, and I'm old now, we'll leave it at that. I never really liked, ever since they came into existence... I never really liked first-person shooters at all. I just, I didn't enjoy them. I didn't. I wasn't good at them, and I didn't find that they were fun. But in the last two or three years, like, there's really only one kind of first-person shooter I don't like. The military Call of Duty shooters. Halo I play, Borderlands I play, you know. I'm actually considering getting the new Far Cry 3 game, because it's this open-world story of a first-person shooter. And so my tastes have actually grown. And it, it, it's weird when you realize it, because sometimes you don't pay attention. Sometimes your tastes grow and you just kind of accept it and move on. It was kind of cool to kind of be sitting on my couch playing Borderlands and going, holy crap, I like first-person shooters. Cool. Like, I don't have to instantly judge a game because I see it as a certain type. And that shows my ability to expand my mind as a critic. Yeah, well, that's that's a perfect time to tie it back around to critics themselves. I, I, I in general defend the idea of criticism mm-hmm. i think that it is it's important it, it, it's it's not just helpful for the for the critic himself i mean to, honestly i think any anybody who kind of engages in it for a while uh will realize n- things about themselves that they never knew before because it, the, every second that you're challenged by either yourself or someone else or just by the sheer quantity of content that you expose yourself to you are going to question you're going to question wow that that is really not as good as I originally thought it was, or wow that that aspect really drags that band way 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 back. It, it's 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 healthy in my opinion because the more and more you do that, the more the higher standards you have, and the more you try to seek out those standards. I agree. I think that you have. It's hard to be. Now I'll admit it's hard to be um, completely open with criticism. Of course, when someone's hurtful, it hurts. I mean. It just goes with the territory with 
being criticized, but it's still important for growth. I mean, that's the, the baseline of it. Criticism is important to growth. I mean, that's really it. Um, I, I would agree with that. And I feel like it's just important to, to, to talk about this. I mean, obviously... This is basically us defending what we do. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Which is fine, but... We're here for a reason. We're not talking just aimlessly. Yeah, I mean... Please still listen to us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what, kind of what we want to listen to. We contribute to society. We matter. <laughs> telling you. Um, in wrapping up, um, first we'll start with what we're planning on doing next week. So next week we're going to step even a little further outside our comfort zone, although I've been talking about doing something like this for a while. Um, we're going to review a soundtrack. Um, one of... A soundtrack that I really enjoyed um, to a movie I really enjoyed, Wreck-It Ralph, the new Disney picture. Uh, we're going to wreck it. Yeah, we're going to review the soundtrack, which I think is fascinating based on our previous soundtrack co- conversation earlier in the weeks and weeks of the podcast where we talked about how there's scores versus sound- song- song-related soundtracks. And this soundtrack is a blend of both. And that's why I was really interested to do it. So we're going to talk about the movie, we're going to talk about the soundtrack, um... And so you have that to look forward to next week. Um, also, um, I want to thank again our our uh, our fan mail. Um, I look forward to hearing more. Uh-huh. Um, oh, you will hear more. And um, of course, please comment on the site. Uh, call us out. Uh, so email we can us. do real fan mail, guys. <laughs> Come on. Um, and also, um, we, like I, I've said before, and I'll say again, follow along on Spotify. Um, most, if not all, of the records that we reviewed are there. Please check them out, and please follow along. Um, please donate. Um, we're already working towards using donations that we've gotten previously to uh, begin to improve the quality of the show. Um, and in closing, as always, music is life, and life is good. <laughs>